If you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy, the second chapter, we're going to go back to the portion of Scripture that we looked at last week when I began to speak on the subject of ladies and gentlemen. As we said last week, and the nature of that, it's ladies first. So we continue talking about the subject of what a godly woman is, what a godly man is. And so please don't think that I'm, I'm picking on the ladies. We're going to really hammer on the men down the road. Just hold tight and we'll get there, okay? So along that line, we want to talk today about women professing godliness. Women professing godliness. Let's begin reading in 1 Timothy 2, and we'll start again in verse 8. He says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but, in parenthesis now, which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So what we talked about last week as we laid the groundwork for this series about godly ladies and godly gentlemen, godly young men, godly young women, and on into whatever age you may be. The Apostle Paul is instructing specifically about proper attire and conduct in the, the public worship of the Lord. Okay, Now, don't just think the Apostle Paul was the only one picking on this because some of the other apostles speak of it, and most notably, as we'll see here this morning, Jesus himself speaks of uh, proper attire, proper conduct. Notice he addresses the men first when he speaks about men praying. And then he begins to address how the women dressed in public worship. And as I said last week, I'm not going to re-preach that sermon, but as I said last week, it obviously was an issue in the Greek-Roman society at that time. And as I was studying it, you know, I just kind of, you know, you can Google anything. <laughs> and of course, they didn't have cameras back then, but they had drawings and paintings of the way men and women dressed back in those days. And you can, it's really interesting. You can see those, some of the, the way that they dressed, the culture at the time. And so it was very much an issue when the Apostle Paul wrote this. I can't imagine what he would write today. <laughs> but you understand it's important that we understand what God says about men and women and what is godly to the Lord. Remember, this is not Brother Tim's opinion. Some of the stuff we read here it's very specific by the Apostle Paul, and I'm going to make some comments on it. But just remember, if somebody gets mad or upset about what is said there, you know, you just got to take that up with Paul when you see him in heaven. <laughs> and I guarantee you when you see him in heaven, you're not going to want to. But anyway, I left off last week talking about whether or not a young woman or a woman of any age wants to be a daughter of the king or a daughter of the world. And obviously there are some limitations from the word of God on what God says pleases him in the way that a person dresses, men or women. You know, I shocked some of you with my example last week uh, of the shoe, but, you know, I don't come in wearing my trousers on, all over my torso, on my head. I mean, that I would look, y'all would think I was ridiculous. So there is a proper way to present yourself, whether you're talking about public worship or whether you're just talking about, you know, out in the workplace or in the world. What does God say about that? And I'm telling you, what I'm speaking to you here today goes against the culture. It's so not politically correct, whatever that means. <laughs> but it's from the Bible. So y'all pray for me and help me 
that maybe the Lord will help me to convey that in, in a, a loving, spiritual, and God-honoring way. So let me just say this. If young women, women of any age, if you embrace the biblical model of what is godly in, in anything from the way you dress, the way you talk, what your goals in life are, you're going to have to go against the culture to some degree. Have to. Because what the Apostle Paul teaches is counterculture. And, you know, it's interesting to me that people are always, especially young folks, are always wanting to kind of be rebellious or whatever. I said, you, you cannot be more of a rebel than to follow the Lord Jesus Christ because of the things that are taught in the Word of God. You say, well, I want to be different. If you want to be different, then follow what the Word of God teaches because that will set you apart, not for the sake of most times when somebody's wanting to be a rebel, they're wanting to be set apart for the sake of being a rebel. <laughs> But I'll give you something better. I'll one-up you on that and say this, that when you become a rebel for the Lord and go counterculture for the Lord, you're doing it for a greater purpose, which is to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to walk in the steps of Jesus, by the way. That's glorious. Can we say and agree that when Jesus walked the steps of the, the streets of this dirty world, this dirty earth and Jerusalem and all those places, He was going counterculture. He was going against everything. <laughs> He had the right to do that. And child of God, man, woman, or child, whatever you may be, you have the right, the God-given privilege and right by Jesus to go counterculture against the culture of the world. So you're going to have to go against the culture to some degree or another. You have to go against what is worn by most of the world and what is said by most of the world and what the goals of most of the world are. In 2019... I borrowed this from Elder Josh Coker because I liked it. But in 2019, the company that makes Legos did a study of people that were, you know, kids that were buying Legos and playing with them or whatever. I was one of those kids way back when. And don't, hey, listen, you get the Legos out, I'll probably sit down with you and play with them today. <laughs> I like them. And so the study was what kids want to be when they grow up. And from age 8 to 12, from age 8 to 12, one-third of children... 8 to 12, that they did the study on, wanted to be a vlogger or have their own YouTube channel whenever they grew up. That was their goal in life. So we're, you're going to have to go counterculture in terms of what the Word of God teaches. Now look, there may be some, there may be some merit to those things. I'm not saying cold turkey here, you know, although that may be what somebody needs if they're an addict. But there may be some merit to some of these things, but to have that as a goal in life, to have that as your focus in life is going to lead to places that a person does not want to go. Matthew Henry commentary from way back in the, I believe it was the 16 or 1700s, he said, the purity of the heart will show itself in the modesty of the dress which becomes women professing godliness. I love that quote. The purity of the heart will show itself in the modesty of the dress. Now, this day and time, this can apply to both men and women. <laughs> you know, it's not just, hey, it's not just women wearing stretchy pants, right? <laughs> Y'all seen these bikers out there? You know, boy, they're wearing some men and women. They're wearing tight, stretchy pants. And I'm sorry to rain on you ladies' stretchy pants, but the stretchy pants are the epitome, the tight-fitting, show-off-everything-you've-got is the epitome of Proverbs 7 where it teaches about the attire of the harlot. She shows everything she's got. Is that a little too plain? Maybe I am trying to rain on your parade because, number one, I don't want to see that. God's people ought not to want to see that. 
And a person ought to be conscious of how they present themselves before the Lord, whether it's at church or whether it's out in the world, wherever you may be. So maybe I am trying to rain on your parade just a little bit. (laughs) But if me raining on your parade lets you look up just a little bit more and say, what does my master say about what I wear? If it takes me raining on your parade, then, you know, so be it. I don't hate anybody. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just teaching what the Word of God teaches. The attire of a harlot was a form-fitting. And if some of you went back and dug up mom's old videos of me when I was in 11th and 12th grade wearing muscle shirts and short shorts, y'all would say, he's the biggest hypocrite you've ever heard of. They're out there. Hopefully mom will keep them locked up in the cabinet. But... I was 17, I was 16, I was 15, okay? I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) If you see me doing that, y'all need to call the local probate judge and have me committed. You understand, everybody has been through phases like that. Although if you take the 100-year test, if you take the 100-year test, the people 100 years ago did not go through phases like that because it didn't exist. The culture was not in that direction, okay? So here, the Apostle Paul is teaching us about the purity of the heart. What becomes women professing godliness? And there's nothing wrong with beautiful attire. There's nothing wrong with a, a dressing in a godly way, in an appropriate way, whether it's church, work, you know, school, you know, whatever it may be. There's nothing wrong with presenting yourself as the, the word adorn. It, it's the Greek word cosmeo, which means an orderly arrangement. I went out this morning and so showed Sister Tracy a tie, and she said, uh-uh. <laughs> You know, it was not orderly what I had. This one, she approved it, okay? She approved this one. And so there was another one I had that she was like, no, that doesn't match. You don't need that same color with this. And I'm like, praise God I've got her, you know, for cosmeo, for for orderly arrangement. You know, cosmetics, cosmeo, that's where the word comes from. So for public worship, he teaches us that it pleases God that we present ourselves, man, woman, or child, in modest apparel, that which honors God. The opposite of that, as I told you last week, is to push the boundaries, right? Not with, you know, he picked on the hairstyles a little bit. I told you why. It's not because he didn't like broided or braided hair. It's because they were prone to interlace silver and gold within the hair, and it was, you know, dazzling, kind of a dazzling look where it would take your attention away like my watch would take the, when the reflection off of my watch was blinding someone during service, it would take the attention away from what you were there for. So you don't want to take the attention away from that. And we closed out last week in Isaiah, the third chapter, where the, the Lord, you say, can the Lord really be that concerned with what I wear, man or woman or child? And the answer is yes, because in Isaiah 3, we went through that six, seven, eight verses where he talks down to the very details of what those women were wearing that dishonored him. And that was part of the reason that he was judging the nation of Israel, (laughs) judging the nation of Judah. So does God really care? And let me just say this. If, If I told you that avoiding God's chastisement, as Isaiah told them, if I said, listen, ladies, men, boys, girls, It's as simple as you going home and dressing in a modest way, and that will stave off the judgment of God. If that is accurate, and and it was accurate in the days of Isaiah, how easy would that be to fix? How easy is that to fix? But we've all got that little bit of rebel within us, and we say, well, everybody else is doing it, so I'm going to do it too. That's just how we are. That's how we're built. That's, That's what happened to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They did it their own way. Now, I kind of like Brother Chris, my brother's attitude towards modesty. 
He, he's said, he said this in the pulpit, you can hear him speak of it. I heard him say it sitting around the den too sometimes. He said, you know, I always told my girls, that was Meredith and Ashley, that if they started dressing, you know, in real tight fitting stuff and tight shirts and short skirts and all that type of stuff, he said, I'm going to do the same thing. I, I'm going to come in in a tight shirt and a tight skirt and, and just show them what it looks like. <laughs> he said, they'll never do it again. So dads, that might be an idea. If, if there's an issue there and there's too tight of a skirt, too tight of a shirt, too short and all that type of stuff, you know, the, the, you know it, it cuts down too low. Maybe you ought to try wearing it sometime around the house. Please, please just wear it around the house. <laughs> but I think that breaks somebody from, from, if you see what that looks like on me, oh my goodness. I like his, his approach to it. Look at Matthew 22. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. And this is where Jesus speaks directly about proper attire. And he's specifically talking about celebration type situations. You know, we've been speaking about in the past about the God of the festival, the, the celebration, the feast that God ordained, the holy days, the holidays, you know, from the word of God. So look at Matthew 22. And here in verse 8, this is where a king has set a feast. They're going to have a celebration and nobody will come. <laughs> nobody will come to the celebration. And so in Matthew 22 and 8, he says, The king then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. So are y'all with me? This is a wedding. You know, this is a, this is a great festive occasion, or it should be. He says, Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Now, you can't say we're picking on the ladies here, can you? Because this is a man. <laughs> this man who has been invited to the wedding feast, you know, maybe he was just some, you know, body walking down the road and, and he's walking along. Maybe he's in his rags or he's in his work clothes or whatever, but he's not wearing proper attire for a wedding. And it does not mean that it's tucks and tails and, you know, ballroom type dresses. It's not saying that because they didn't have those back in those days. But whatever he's wearing, it's not appropriate. And so it says, when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And this bothers the king. Now, these are the words of Christ. You see that? And he says to him, friend, notice uh, that's very important. He says, friend, he doesn't say my enemy. What are you doing here? This man is a child of God. This is a child of grace. This is a friend of the king. He is, you say, well, how did he know him? It doesn't matter. The king, the king has just friended him. You get that? He says, friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. You see that? <laughs> Have you ever been somewhere at some event or something and you realize maybe you weren't dressed appropriately, <laughs> you know, you were underdressed or maybe, maybe you were overdressed, you know, when you went to this function or that function, always trying to find, you know, what you need to wear, what, what's comfortable, you know, what's appropriate and so forth. Some people say, well, I just wear whatever I want to wear. Well, then they're just like that guy right here and he gets kicked out of the wedding feast. See, he says, friend, how did you come in here not having a wedding garment? Could you imagine me going to your wedding or whoever's wedding and showing up, you know, in my, my short shorts and my um, muscle shirt, you know, <laughs> you'd be like, what? Brother Tim's lost his mind. What's he doing? Or if I just came in in my, my old work coat clothes that I wear out on the farm, you know, it's not, the jeans are all got grease on them and they're jagged and cut up and look horrible and an old t-shirt. If I just showed up for something like that, 
you know, dress like that, he'd, you know in your mind, you'd be like, hmm, you know, what's wrong here? <laughs> the king looks at this guy. He says, you're not dressed appropriately. You're going to have to leave. And it wasn't just any kind of leaving because it says the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot. They grabbed this guy out of the crowd and they put a lasso around his legs and around his hands. And, you know, like the old Westerns, you know, they'd show the, the drunk guy, you know, being thrown out of the bar, the, the swinging doors of the, of the saloon. And here this guy goes, boom, they throw him out, cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't really know what that means, but it sounds horrible. <laughs> I don't want to experience that just because I didn't know what God thought about what I was wearing. You see that? Watch what Jesus says in verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, let me just say this. He's not talking about the number of God's children right there. There's no way that he's talking about the number of God's children because we know it says the stars of the skies, the sands of the sea. The Lamb's book of life was written before the foundation of the world. Millions upon millions upon th tens upon thousands upon thousands of God's children. This is talking about people who will take the word of God to heart. <laughs> Many are called. Everybody under the sound of my voice is called to hear what Christ is saying and what Paul is saying about what God thinks towards how we dress and what we wear. But there's only a few that are chosen. And in this sense, guess what? You choose yourself, right? You choose yourself. Are you going to embrace what the culture is doing and destroying itself? Or are you going to embrace what your Lord in heaven thinks about you and thinks about what you're doing and what you think and what you're wearing. I tell you what, when the grace of God hits your heart, whenever the mercy of God becomes real for you in life, there is no length that you won't go to to try to honor God. So I ask you, can you take that little chosen test yourself? What lengths would you go to to honor God? Would you set yourself apart from what the culture is doing in devouring itself and destroying itself? Or will you just sit back and go, hmm, well, that's, that's a lovely message. <laughs> that's a lovely take that Brother Tim has his opinion on things. It's not my opinion. It's the Word of God. There's things that please God. There's things that don't please God. That can be, that's true in every area of life. But specifically, he's talking about how we dress. How we present ourselves. Boy, y'all are quiet today. Look at Psalm 45. You want to be a daughter of the king or do you want to be a daughter of the world? Psalm 45, and let's look at verse 9. I love this language right here. We're talking about the king. He says, King's daughters were among thy honorable women. Upon thy right hand did stand the queen in gold of Ophir. Hearken, O daughter, and consider, will the daughters listen? I'm not just talking about, your, I'm not just talking about the young ladies. I'm talking about the women, the sisters, the, the children of God who are females. Because he's not just talking to daughters and young women. He's talking to God's children who are females. He says, hearken, O daughter. You are a daughter of the king, whether you realize it or not. Hearken, O daughter, and consider and incline thine ear. Forget also thine own people. Did you hear that? He says, forget your own people. It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter what you were taught or not taught. It doesn't matter what you came up in. It only matters that you hearken and you listen to the king. You get that? And I'm not the king. <laughs> I'm, I'm not the one. I'm not the king telling you what to do. This is the word of God. Hearken to the king. Forget about what you've heard and forget about what the culture says, but incline thine ear 
and listen to thy father's house. This is the place that matters. This is the place you're going to be ultimately one day in the king's house in heaven, in mansions in heaven. So shall the king, verse 11, greatly desire thy beauty. For he is the Lord. You hear that? Worship him. Worship thou him. Look at verse 13. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Did you hear that? Where is God looking? He's looking within. See? There's nothing wrong with beautiful attire and appropriate dress and so forth. But the Lord is concerned with the heart, you see? The Lord is concerned with what's going on in the heart. You remember that woman over in Proverbs, the seventh chapter that we have visited back with many times? And that woman was a religious woman. I didn't say she was a spiritual woman. She was a religious woman. Because whenever she confronts the young man in her stretchy pants on the street, whenever she confronts the young man showing off everything that she's got, she says, oh, the Lord sent me out here to meet you. It is just destiny. You know, it was meant to be. We have just met each other here on the street. And she catches him and she kisses him. And then she says, I've paid my vows. I've been to church. I'm good with God. Come on inside. <laughs> I've decked my bed with perfumes and tapestries. And, oh, by the way, my husband won't be back for a while. He's gone on a trip. You don't have to worry about him coming in and shooting you, <laughs> or, or back in those days, stabbing you. You see, this is a religious woman. On the outside, she looks like she's doing everything right. But on the inside, she is full of adultery, and she's full of sin, and she's full of corruption, you see? So just because somebody says, I love the Lord, the real proof is in how they are living. You see that? That's the proof. And here it says that the, the king is concerned with the gloriousness of what is inside this daughter. You see that? Now, the king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. See, she's not dressed in rags. You see that? She's not walking around in a feed sack. She's in clothing of wrought gold. She shall be brought into the king in raiment of needlework. That was precious and priceless type material. The virgins, her companions that follow her, shall be brought unto thee. With gladness and rejoicing shall they be brought. They shall enter into the king's palace. You see that? Look at verse 17. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. There have been... Godly, virtuous women who you have never heard of, who have gone through life for 70, 80, 90, 100 years, you never will hear of them this side of heaven. But they have lived their life, they have honored God in the way that they went counterculture to the cultures that there's always been rotten culture in the world, always. It just kind of manifests itself more nowadays. But there have been women that have come on the scene as mothers, as grandmothers, as godly people, great-grandmothers even, and they have passed off the scene and you, you'll never hear about them this side of glory. But God saw them. God knows them. And he views them as the king's daughters. You see that? So, sisters, whatever age you may be, if you passed off of the scene and never had a YouTube channel, it's okay. <laughs> never vlogged or blogged or never was a big, big deal on Facebook. But, but you took care of your family and you took care of the people that you were close with and you did what God told you to Let me tell you, you're a daughter of the king. You see? I was hoping to get an amen or two on that one, but anyway. 
I'll fish for some amens now, especially on a sermon like this. Let me tell you. Back to 1 Timothy 5 as we bring our thoughts to a close. 1 Timothy 5. You say, well, what are the good works, Brother Tim? You know, you've, you've hit home here with what the Word of God teaches about what is improper in terms of what God looks at and says, well, this is appropriate dress. This is not appropriate dress or whatever. But then he goes on and he says, I would prefer for you to be dressed in things that are appropriate for women who say, I want to serve the Lord. Women professing godliness. So look at 1 Timothy. And let's turn to chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul lays down some incredible, appropriate, good works. Now, these are not exclusive, okay? This is not an exclusive list, because you'll see he has a catch-all. But look at this in 1 Timothy 5, and let's go to verse 8. He says, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith, and is worse than an infidel. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man. And he goes on and he gives, he gives a list of what good works are in relation to the type of widow that the church was supposed to take care of. Remember, this was a day and time when they didn't have Social Security. They didn't have retirement. There were hardly any women in the workplace in the sense of the way the culture was. Women were considered property. And, you know, the Apostle Paul is liberating these women. You understand that? They're, he's liberating them. So they didn't have Social Security. They didn't have retirement. There was, if a woman's providers died, they, she, would, she would often become just a beggar. Okay, so here was a situation where the Apostle Paul says, if you've got a widow who was a faithful woman and her husband passed, these are the type of good works that you should be looking at to see whether or not she should be taken care of by the church. That's a totally different subject for a different day. But just understand, he didn't just throw this in here out of the blue. So here are the works. Here's good works. You remember, Paul said, I would prefer that the women who are serving God be clothed with good works rather than some kind of costly attire or something that's inappropriate. Here they are. Well reported of for good works. Verse 10, if she have brought up children. Now that does not exclude women that were not able to have children or haven't had children. It doesn't exclude them. Notice it says she have brought up children. It doesn't say that they're her own. You get that? It doesn't say it had to be her own children, but she's in, she has brought up children. That's a good work, to bring up children. Moms who are fighting that fight right now, and I hope you're not fighting directly with your kids, but whoever's fighting that fight right now, the Lord says you bringing up children and loving them and teaching them, it's a good work. Isn't that a relief? That's a relief to know that God says what a mother does in terms of interacting with her children and teaching her children, that's a good work. If she have lodged strangers, that means the woman was hospitable, that she was kind and hospitable. It doesn't mean that she dragged somebody in off the street who was dangerous and didn't know them. It doesn't mean that. It means that she was hospitable. Listen, as an old Baptist, as a primitive Baptist, you're gonna have, you will have a lot of times to be hospitable. Just ask my wife. <laughs> Especially when preachers are traveling and families are traveling. And I've even had people call me out of the blue and just say, hey, we're passing through. You know, we just like to come by. And so praise God, you know, we'll be hospitable and let them, let them come by. It's a good work to be hospitable one towards another. Notice it says, if she have washed the saints' feet. Now that can mean that she was a, a church member and she participated in the feet washing service that, that Jesus instigated, you know, in John the 13th chapter. But I rather think it goes along with hospitality. Washing the saints' feet in those days was, you, you had to get somebody cleaned up when they came in the house. <laughs> there was a lot of dirt on the road. They didn't have paved roads back in those days. And people wore sandals. And they were dirty whenever they came in the house. When we were in Africa a few years ago, 
Brother David Crawford and I, the first time we went, I think it was 2006, we baptized some folks in the Indian Ocean. And I have never been in a more smelly and stinky and nasty ocean than the Indian Ocean. You don't want to take a trip, at least in that part of the world, in Tanzania, you don't want to take a trip to the beach and go to the Indian Ocean. And let me tell you, it was smelling, it was horrible, and I wore some sandals in there. I had some of those, you know, little strap-on top sandals, you know, to get in the water. And when I came out for days, I tried to purify them and get that smell out of them, and I finally just had to throw them away. <laughs> they smelled horrible. And back in these days when people were walking around with sandals on the dirt roads, they were dirty. They needed to wash their feet at least. At least wash their feet before they went to bed. That's a good word, to be hospitable and provide someone with that type of relief. It says, if she have relieved the afflicted. Man, we could talk a whole day about that. Relieve the afflicted. Who are the, who are the afflicted? Do you know any afflicted around you? I do. You say, well, I don't know where to start. I don't know any afflicted. Well, talk to me. I'll be glad to put you on to the afflicted. <laughs> Matter of fact, you might need to talk to me because I might be afflicted from time to time, you say. Y'all know y'all are thinking, yeah, he's real afflicted. <laughs> If she have diligently followed every good work. What is that? That can be any number of things. But he, he has a catch-all right there. What is this woman all about? What is she clothed with? Is she bringing up children? Is she lodging strangers? Is she washing the saints' feet? Is she hospitable? Is she relieving the afflicted? Listen, mothers, you may say, well, I need to get out there and see who the afflicted are. Nine times out of ten, if you've got children in the home, there's your afflicted ones right there. <laughs> You're like us. Sometimes we look at our kids and think, man, they really are afflicted. They need help. <laughs> That's a great place to start. Hey, listen, don't worry, kids. Y'all know y'all were afflicted. I was afflicted too. Good gracious, look at me. I used to wear short shorts and muscle shirts. I was greatly afflicted, you see. We're all afflicted to some degree or another. Who is that? It can be so many different people. But do you see the contrast? The Apostle Paul is not writing this in a vacuum. He's just said over here, I would prefer the women and the ladies to dress modestly and appropriately and be more concerned with being clothed with good works. And then he goes two chapters later and he names some good works for you. Isn't that great? He didn't leave the question there. He didn't leave you wondering. Here's the good works. Now, as we continue looking at this subject, Lord willing, next time we'll go over to the Old Testament and we'll look at one of the greatest women ever to live over in the Old Testament. She's known as the great Shunammite woman. And you can see the characteristics of that woman. It was not geared around how she presented herself, what you know, costly attire or costly whatever she had on. It was how she conducted herself towards the man of God. How did she conduct herself towards the man of God? And now that is my last and final plea as we close out here today. So I'm making that plea to you. As great Shunammite women, if I've offended you or if I've upset you with some of what I'm teaching here today, have mercy upon me. Start practicing good works. <laughs> like the Shunammite woman had towards Elisha, have mercy upon your preacher, okay? Because I'm just telling you what the Word of God teaches. My only concern is for you, man, woman, or child, and your life to glorify God. And I, I would think as your pastor, as your minister, as one that cares about you, I would think you would want me to continue in that line. If the Word of God says this or that, I hope you'll pray for me and ask the Lord to burden me to preach whatever the Word of God says. Amen. And if it goes against something I'm doing or something that you're doing, let's don't get mad at each other. You know, let's don't get mad, period. But let's look a little further up. Look to the throne and say, Lord, 
I'm examining myself. Lord, what would you have me to do? I promise you, on the authority of the Word of God, your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ will grow closer, and you'll have a clearer mind. You'll feel better, and you will rejoice. I promise you that. And hopefully you won't be mad at me. (laughs) If there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord in New Testament baptism, we'll give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.